You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hello, everyone. It's Sagar in Jetty. Crystal is already on her way back to D.C., but I wanted to make sure that those of you who are new here know what we are all about at Breaking Points. Our mission is to create a new media, which aims to make everybody hate each other less and the corrupt ruling class more. Joe Rogan has been a formative force on both of us, and we are so lucky to have his support when we left the Hill and became 100% independent of the corporate media. Every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, Crystal and I do a show which is breaking down all of the breaking points. Uh, Do you guys get that one in American society? Which the corporate media is going to refuse to tell you. Now, look, clips of the show, they're available on YouTube 100% free. Same thing with the audio for free as breaks on anywhere you guys get your podcasts. But for those of you who want to help support our mission, you get the full uncut show delivered to your inbox one hour early. You get to listen to the free show completely uncut as a podcast, and you get exclusive long-form interviews like the one you are about to hear with the great Joe Rogan himself. Become a premium subscriber today at breakingpoints.com, which is in the description, and you can hear future awesome episodes like this one. Support our work at breakingpoints.com today. We love you all so much. And with that, enjoy the show. All right. All right. Ready, Joe? Yes. Um, thank you so much for letting us turn the tables on you. My pleasure. Right. Appreciate it. We're here, Joe. How no, are I'm you? nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Get ready. Oh, no. Um, so appropriate for our show, we want to start by asking you, like, how do you think about your political philosophy and who do you consider to be some of the influences on how you think about those things? My political philosophy is very mixed, mm-hmm. right? It's like I, I, I like a lot of different people's ideas, but ultimately all I really want is what's better for people. You know, I don't really have a, a vested interest in business. I'm not looking to like protect assets or anything weird. And I want people to have freedom. So I, in, in all ways, you know, and I think that, uh, when I look at politics, I look at like these utopian concepts about like what's possible. And then I look at what's, uh, what we have going on right now. And Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I, I wonder. Joe, what are some of the formative political experiences of your life? Well, I mean, 
I remember the the first time I ver- really got interested in politics was when Ronald Reagan couldn't remember whether or not he sold arms to Iran. Mm. Mm. Iran Contra. Yeah, okay. I was like yeah. twenty one years old. Hmm. Twenty twenty one years old, and uh, I remember thinking like, what what is happening? Because <laughs> I always thought of presidents as you know you have a leader and this leader is trying to do the best for the country and we all respect the office of the president and back then that was really the case like back then the 1980s there was way less inflammatory rhetoric there was a lot of people that didn't like reagan but the level of i don't like reagan was never like the the level of i don't like trump right or now, currently, Obama, or, or Biden, rather, is senile. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a disrespect of Biden that didn't exist back then. And uh, as a young man trying to figure out what was going on in the world, um, seeing that there's this guy who's clearly lying about selling weapons to someone who hates it. There was a guy named Jimmy Tingle. Uh-huh. He's a hilarious comedian out of Boston. And he had a great bit about this that he would do in a heavy Boston accent. He goes, Mr. President, if you ever sell arms to people who hate us in the future, jot it down. <laughs> he goes, put it on a post-it note. Stick it on your refrigerator. Like, like, do you know who Jimmy Tangle is? No, I didn't know who he was. A great political uh, comedian. It was him and Barry Crimmins and uh, Jimmy Credico. There was a few of these guys that were like really politically aware comics. Mm -hmm. Barry Crimmins in particular, who was really the head of the the like if there was a godfather of Boston comedy it was Barry Crimmins because he was the most intelligent he was the most well read the most politically aware and he would be involved in a lot of like political demonstrations and all, all these different things and he was kind of the guy who kept the Boston comedians honest he kept mm. them from being hacks and he was uh, just a very very politically aware guy yeah and Jimmy Tingle was uh, aligned with him he was one of those guys as well who initially started out as just a regular comic and then became much more of a political comic and then ultimately became a guy who, i don't think he does really comedy shows as much as he does like one man shows now mm-hmm. but uh tingles tingles bits about it made me think about it a lot and then watching you know the oliver north uh thing on television mm-hmm. and and the, the contras and the nicaraguas and all that stuff yeah. and then eventually uh when i did the podcast later getting to interview rick ross hmm. the real rick ross not the rapper right the real rick ross who the rapper named himself after who is the guy who is selling coke in South Central, oh making God. millions and millions of dollars to fund right. the, the Contras. Right. The, and he, he didn't know. He had no idea oh what was God. going on. He had no idea. He thought he was just like so slick that he could stay operated. <laughs> he, just, he literally did not know that he was being, that they were allowing him to do this. Hmm. And so when you pulled that thread, like from that Reagan moment, was that like led to more skepticism of politicians, led for you to think that they're all liars or it's corrupt or sort of like where did that thread lead? Well, I think is, you know, when you're a 20-year-old, 21-year-old person, your brain's not really fully formed. So mm-hmm. you, you think a lot of like scrambled thoughts. And right. I, I think I was too busy with my own life to spend too much time thinking about politics, but I was super aware that it's not what I thought it was. 
which was like one of the themes of my life. Like as mm. I got older, more aware, like, oh, everybody pretends that this makes sense. This doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, everybody pretends that this, there's a system in place. It's like really like uh, it's it's well-meaning and it's really fair and it's uh, it's it's going to benefit everybody. It's that's. It took a while to slowly unpeel the onion, you know, and that was probably one of the first things was seeing Reagan say that was Reagan. Sort of like spoiled the illusion. It was just so obviously bullshit. People always ask, they're like, what does Joe believe? And I'm like, look, I think it's like a skepticism of power. That's like the bedrock thing. And so Reagan was the genesis of that. Because if if I were to throw a thread through all like your takes on politics, it's always something along the lines of, I'm not sure if I believe what that person is saying. Yeah, Like, is that where it comes from? He was the first guy that I realized was the president, but also full of shit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was like, That's wow. a seminal moment, honestly. Yeah. Because no, I, yeah. For me, it I was remember, Iraq. Right. Yeah, I remember watching, there was a, something on television about Nixon, about how, you know, Watergate, and oh my God, he, you know, bugged the you know, the opposition, and what a terrible person. Mm-hmm. And But then, you know, different people came along, and Gerald Ford was this bumbling guy, and then Jimmy Carter was like this really sweet guy, but couldn't really get the job done in terms of like getting the hostages released from Iran. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Reagan comes along, and it's all, you know, win one for the Gipper, and everybody's all rah-rah America. And then, you know, this was all when I was young, and as I was 20, 21, the whole Nicaragua Contra thing, and the Sandinistas and watching that on television going, what the hell is going on? <laughs> like, this is the president, the president, he fucking remembers. Yeah, I yeah, remember thinking yeah. that he fucking remembers. He's lying. Right. Maybe, maybe he didn't honestly, because he was getting Alzheimer's, but most likely remembers. Yeah. No, he, he, fucking he, he, he remembers. He fucking yeah. Um, is it uncomfortable for you? How much unintentional power you have in the political sphere? Yeah, it's weird. It's totally unintentional. That's why it's weird. It was hmm. never, there's no, planning of any of this is just talking to people and then all the sudden like i still don't understand why it's so popular hmm. i don't get it really like, i know a lot of other people do the same thing i'm like why is this fucking thing still so- number one well let's like, tease that out then because you invented the long form podcast game there are a lot of people who followed you into the game what do you think they're doing wrong relative to you like what are you doing right like what what is the secret sauce of jre i don't know hmm. So, well, then what do you see? That's that other- the thing. I don't think about it too much. <laughs> what do you see other people doing that's wrong? Because people ask me, they're like, well, you've been on Rogan. Like he says he just shows up and I'm like, yeah, he might say that. But it's very clear to me that you're an extremely like a, a very good practitioner of conversation, knowing when to interject, knowing when to stay silent, knowing when to move something forward, knowing when to bring something around, being like, oh, I'm familiar with this person. Let me interject this, this at this time. It may seem artless, but it's definitely not. So like. Is that something that you learned? Is it a comedian skill? Because I see, I listen to some mm-hmm. comedy podcasts, and frankly, they're not as good. Um, some are decent. When I see you, I see somebody endless curiosity. Is it innate in your personality? Is it a learned phenomenon? It's both. I've always been curious, but I've learned how to be more effectively curious as I've gotten older. Mm. This podcast has been a massive education for me, an mm. unintended, um, accidental education. The fact that I've been able to talk to so many interesting and intelligent people and get their perspectives and just sit across from them uninterrupted for hours at a time and get to see how their brain works and then to to consider my own brain. And then, you know, in the beginning, there was a lot of bad podcasts. They didn't go that well. I wasn't that good at it. And I didn't think, first of all, I didn't think anybody was listening. Hmm. I remember the moment I realized people were listening. 
I was at a sold-out show at the Chicago Theater, and I was on stage, and uh, I was doing this bit, and uh, it was it had something to do with the podcast. And I said, um, how many of you guys listen to the podcast? And the place went, yeah. What year was this? What year was this? Um, maybe 2011. Whoa. So it was like two years in. That's what, because yeah. I'm thinking in the 12, podcast, maybe? as a podcast historian or whatever, that was like the Mark Marin era. Right, like that's when I remember Mark Maron was like a thing, and, yeah. I, and I was like, "What is going on with Mark?" Mar-? Like Obama went on Mark Maron, yeah. which was like crazy. Yeah. And I remember being like, "Man, there's something going on in this this space." But then it's like you not only eclipsed Maron, like you became this probably this I would say one of the single most influential people in American life. And so, like, when do you think that transition happened for you? And I know you haven't changed your your like affect or anything, but like, when do you think that was? Like, I'm what? not sure. Yeah. Does it, does it get into your, does it, I, you were saying like, you don't think about why it's successful. Is that yeah. sort of intentional? Yes. Cause mm. I feel like part of why what's com- continues to be compelling is that you don't bring to it all of this weight of like oh, a lot of people are listening right, i gotta be right, really right. careful and i gotta really watch what i which can be a beautiful thing and it can also get you in trouble at times but is that sort of like lack of digging into what's made it successful and the type of impact it could have or does have is that an intentional strategy to keep it kind of what it is it's not an intentional strategy it's probably a survival technique because if I did stop and think, it's like if I read all my Twitter mentions, I'd probably go fucking crazy. Yes, <laughs> right? If I just put yeah, out I have a, one tenth and I had to stop reading because I was going fucking crazy. You can't do yeah. it. And if if I uh, if I paid attention to all of it, I wouldn't be able to do any of the things that I do because then I wouldn't be able to think about those things because I'd be thinking about my impact or my influence or what I did wrong or what I did right or, you know, oh, people like that. I should probably lean into that. I'd Mm. I'd be thinking about all these different things instead of my commitment is to just do the best job that I can. Always do my best. And if it's something that requires some sort of, um, you know, uh, research, like if I have uh, an important subject and I don't understand it too much, I'll read someone's book mm-hmm. or I'll, I'll watch documentaries or I'll, I'll do something to get myself prepared for it. If, or like, I, I love things like the UFO subjects because I don't have to do any preparation. <laughs> I do a little bit, of, but it's like, I know you got that subject yes, kind of locked I'm, down. I'm it's, I'm dialed into it, but I don't, I don't think it would help me if I thought about the impact of the show. And I also don't think that I could do it the way I do it because I think, um, like, I think normally if someone had reached the kind of amount of exposure that I have and you were really hyper aware of it, you'd start to protect what you've accumulated. You have right. to, right? You, right. Yeah. But when you protect it, then it stops being what it is. And I think that's one of the things that freaks people out about me mm-hmm. is that I talk wild. I talk wild shit like a comic that has like 10,000 people listening, but it's 10 million. Where right. it's, yeah, yeah, where you have nothing to lose, but yeah. you actually have everything to lose. <laughs> but I kind of don't. Right. I kind of do, but I kind of don't. Right. You know, because it's like, I'm not a bad person. So like when I'm doing this, if I, if I say something wrong, I can always apologize. If I'm incorrect about something, I can correct it. But my intention is always to be good. So I don't know how much I really have to lose. 
because I'm financially independent. Mm-hmm. So like that's a big one that holds people back, right? A big one that holds people back is financial uh, influence. Mm-hmm. You know, the influence of executives or the influence oh, of yeah, yeah. advertisers. And I've lost advertisers because of shows. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, good luck. You don't care. Sorry, <laughs> it doesn't hurt you. you if say- I, I would do the, I would have considered doing the podcast for no money. Hmm. I thought about that in the future. I'm like, maybe there'll come a time where I just no longer have any ads, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm like, you know, like maybe that would be the ultimate way. Cause like if someone wants to cancel you, one of the things that they do they is they contact your, your ad, they, they mass email campaigns. Right. And it doesn't work, but it works with some. Right. It wor- but I have a backlog of people trying to <laughs> trying be to advertise. advertisers. So, like, generally, if one drops off, there's always somebody a in the bunch. queue. It's funny. That's part of the reason that we went subscription first is that we were like, you know what? You know, when you're doing news, and especially in the beginning, they're like, we need to be able to rely on our people. But something you said it was really interesting during our podcast. You said you talk to enough people, you can figure out whether they're telling the truth or not. Yeah. So how do you know when somebody's full of shit? Like, you've talked to thousands of people. Like, how do you know if somebody's full of shit or not whenever you're talking to them? You don't really know, mm. right? you kind of get a sense like you get a sense of whether or not a person is being genuine. And sometimes you, you're doing jujitsu with them, Mm -hmm. right? You're like moving them in a certain direction, seeing how they respond. You're testing their ego, Mm -hmm. right? You're testing their, you're challenging their, but maybe interrupt them on purpose, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe give them a little nudge. Mm -hmm. Like if you, you're concerned, like you try to like see if they, they push back, like see where they're at. Yeah. You get a sense of a human, you know, like, you get, if you get around so many people so often and you have so many conversations, you you recognize patterns and I think the brain sort of picks up on them. But on, on, at the end of the day, ultimately you don't really know mm-hmm. if someone's lying to you. Some people are just really good at lying. Right. Have you had a situation where you had someone on and after the fact you were like, mm, upon reflection maybe that person was full of shit? Yes. Yes. <laughs> definitely. Well, yeah. No question. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and some of them have been full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> when you say that you try, that your goal is just to do a good job, how do you define that? And um, uh, the smoothest conversation I can, where people don't get uncomfortable listening. I was listening to a podcast recently, and uh, it was a friend of mine's podcast, and uh, he doesn't have the people wear headphones. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I tell people when you have two or more guests, you must have headphones because then people recognize when they're talking over each other. Mm. Because you're very right. Actually, it happened when we were talking. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Because when you hear your voice at the same level you hear that person's voice, then it becomes pain obvious when you guys are and it's like right we just did three and a half hours right and Mm -hmm. it's this weird dance we're doing where you know we all have something to say and it's kind of exciting right very exciting we're talking about all these like really intense subjects and it's really stimulating and you never know like when to jump in and when and we're like letting each other we were all really good dance partners it was really Mm -hmm. fun yeah but sometimes it's not and this (laughs) my friends that i was listening to was not a good and i'm calling them afterwards i'm gonna say hey bro you got to get headphones. So what <laughs> what makes you walk out of this room and go, man, that was a fucking great episode. And then what makes you walk out of here and be like, ah, oh, shit, I should have done something better. Like what what is, you don't have to name people necessarily, but like, but what if are you the wanted types? to name people, oh, yeah, that by the way, be, if you want to, <laughs> yeah. please well. do. Yes. <laughs> Smoothness of absorption, right? Mm-hmm. Like whether or not it's easily absorbed into your mind. You're not, you're not uncomfortable. It doesn't feel gross. Like sometimes people, sometimes people say things and even if they're honest, even if it's an honest truth 
true thing. It'll sound braggy or it'll mm-hmm. sound uh, hyperbolic. Mm. It'll, you know, it'll sound um, maybe like disingenuously. Um, uh, you you could you could fake humility. And people pick up on that too. Mm-hmm. They don't like yeah. that either. That's mm-hmm. gross, <laughs> right? Like, well, so this is funny though because you're like, I don't think about it. But everything you're saying, you're the greatest audience advocate I've heard. So when people ask me about podcasting, I'm like, it's not about you. Like sometimes yeah. it is, but it's really not. And it's, it's like not. you're always having to think about the people who are listening. So like, how do you do that? Like when you're talking about when you see somebody do something, you're like, man, people at home are gonna hate this. Like, do you think about that type of stuff when you're talking to people? Sometimes I do. Like sometimes I'm in the middle yeah. of talking to somebody and they're just blurting out nonsense. And I'm like, oh god, <laughs> <laughs> what have I done? This one sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I've had a few of those. Like yeah. I had one, re- you know, not recently, but within yeah. the last few months. And I, I walked out. I looked at Jamie. I go, that wasn't a good one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just. just Sometimes people, you take a chance. Like a lot of these authors and professors, I've never spoken a word to them, right. nor have I heard them speak. Like right. A lot That's of people, point. I've just read their stuff, and uh, maybe I'll listen to an audiobook where an actor was reading it, and you don't know how good they're going to be. Yeah. And sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised, and sometimes it's like, it's awkward. Yeah. You know? I mean, we have the same experience, but generally we're doing 10-minute segments. Right. So yeah, it's like less of a hours. risk. You're not making yeah. an hour-plus commitment to this person. Um, you mentioned actually with us that you are very self-critical person. So yeah. do you go back? Do you rewatch the no. episodes? You don't do any of that? I don't need to. Do you, you know in your <laughs> yeah, head. And so what are the, like, what are the type of thoughts that'll go through your head or what are the things that you're looking for thinking about or that would stick with you like "Ah, I should have done that different giving the people enough space is big like Mm. letting them talk like you know there's always this uh, urge to talk you know when two people are talking you get excited right and these subjects are they're they're stimulating right and you want to talk so you got to give people the you 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 want to sort of First of all, you want to make them welcome and you want to kind of caress the conversation. Mm. You know, you don't want to beat on it. Mm-hmm. You want to like kind of like 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 let's uh, let's figure out a way to make you the most comfortable. Let's figure out a way to, to get the most out of you. And then also you have to have I think you have to have genuine curiosity because I think we can all pick up on artificial curiosity. Yeah, we can pick pick, pick like, up on. Oh, that's interesting. And you're like, you yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, ew. Like, you don't mean that. Yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, that's late night TV hosts. They're yeah. the worst. Right. It's Very crazy. True. It's so clunky and fake, and it's so air quotes professional. And the thing about podcasts is you're professionally unprofessional. Yes. Because you're really just having a conversation. So and if you you're doing it well. You're making these people feel like you're just, you're talking to someone who cares. Mm -hmm. You're talking to someone who cares about what, and you really, the only way to do that is to actually care. Like you really want to care about what this person is saying and thinking. So one of, it actually reminded me because I've always, for the years I've listened to you, it's always been very clear, like an, like an antithesis to the, you know, the corporate suit, like the development deals, the comedy. So you're Joe Rogan. You've literally been in, you were in LA for decades, Hollywood, Sports, comedy, basically three like titan areas of American entertainment. What do people not know about that industry that they should know, which also caused you clearly to be like, I've generally had a bad experience. And I'm obviously not with the UFC or anything like that, but like you having been at the center of all these worlds, you're like, you've seen a lot of shit, I guess. And it yeah. caused you to say, I cannot be controlled by these people. Like what, what were some of those experiences? And like, wh- why do you think that the industry is the way that it is today? They don't have, I mean, 
here's the best way to describe what's going this is the problem not just with Hollywood but also with Los Angeles because Los Angeles is inexorably connected to show business mm-hmm. there is no getting around that is the reason why a large percentage of people move there and it also massively affects the politics of the the, the place and not just politics but social discussions, the way people communicate, because it's an incredibly disingenuous way of communicating where you want to say the things that people are going to want to hear because that way they're going to cast you. Mm. So here's the thing. You take these people and um, generally speaking, people come to Hollywood if uh, they have an acting dream. That's the big reason why, right? right? That's like probably the number one. There's comics. They come there and they're different, but not necessarily because a lot of them get into acting. And they get they get like corrupted by that system too. But the way this system works is you go there and then you go into a room like this one. So like maybe we could be the casting directors and someone would come in and you go, Hey Mark, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where'd you move from? And there's like a smugness to it and a weirdness to it because they have power over you. Yeah. And they're like, Well, you know, I'm from New Jersey, but uh, you know, I've been acting, I did a bunch of plays and blah, 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 and I'm out here trying it out. Okay, Mark. Well, um, you're going to read for the role of Ted, and then, you know, like some fucking PA will read off a thing. Well, Ted, I don't even know if we can do this, man. It just seems like it's all wrong. You're like, come on, man. We can do it. And so you're, you're in this. I've done this so many times. You're in this, like, completely uh, like non-natural environment. It's usually a conference room yeah. in, a, in a production office. And you're in this non-natural environment with these smug people that have this massive amount of power over you. And it shapes the way people communicate. Like I've been in rooms where they'll discuss politics like right away. And you see people bend to whichever way the wind is blowing. Mm-hmm. Like what do I have to say? What like, do they want you know, me to say? I think it's say? about time we had a woman president. Like they'll say Everyone's shit. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah like yeah, you yeah. see it. You see the disingenuous. <laughs> they don't have opinions. These uh, – and I, I, when I say they – some of them do, right. but a lot of them don't. What they have is a conglomeration of opinions that they've adopted because they think it'll be beneficial for their career because oh, their career so is gross. they're insecure people that go to a place where they're going to get rejected a lot. Right. It yeah. is the worst thing ever for their mental health. Ugh. I stopped dating actresses like in the 90s. It was like 94. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is not good. Like, this, <laughs> this doesn't work. Like these, these people are crazy. And I'm like, I know I'm crazy, but yeah. I'm, I'm a, like comedian slash martial artist crazy. It's like a different kind of crazy. Okay. It's like a more like honest crazy. Like their crazy was I need to get cast in things. And also I got insanely lucky. I auditioned for two television shows, and the two television shows I auditioned for, I got both of them. Mm-hmm. It was nuts. Like, I got the show called Hardball. That was the first thing I came out for. I got that. And then Hardball got canceled, and I auditioned for news radio, and then I got that. Right. So it was like two things in a row. It was unheard of. So just dumb luck. I auditioned for the right things. And then, so I, I didn't see this side of it because mm. I was already working. The, mm-hmm. like, but constant then, rejection side. So I would go on auditions for movies and stuff that I ne- probably didn't really want. or and I You would did go, it because you were supposed to, right? You, you're supposed yeah. to. You're, yeah. uh, my agent would literally tell me, you need to go out on these so these casting directors know who you are. So they know you and they like you. Even I go, but I can't even do this because I'm doing this. They're like, just, they, just it's go. better to have them want you and not be able to get you. That's weird. So, okay. So and then there was like maybe something that's going to be cast while you're on summer break. 
okay, fine. So I would go on these auditions and I would see these poor fucks that were like, like lost in this world of being chosen for things. Mm. And that's what shapes the entire mindset of that part of the country. The entire mindset of that part of the country is doing things that you think other people will like. Right. Imagine well, a hellscape so of a world where everyone in the business, in one business, everyone is liberal. Yeah. How is that possible? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How is that possible? Right. How is it possible when the country is basically divided 50-50? So you're telling me that everyone yeah. who is... Uh, is it everyone who's creative? Is it everyone who is expressive? Is it everyone who's theatrical? Is that possible? Mm -hmm. It's not possible because it's not really opinions. They're willing to not have any opinions on anything else other than feeding narcissism, mm. feeding this career that seems insurmountable, impossible to achieve. Because when you're thinking about someone wanting to be uh, like a, an actor on a television show, you're like, what is, what's the... What are the odds that you make it? It's so small. Yeah. Right. Like there's so many people in Hollywood that never make it. Like I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day mm -hmm. about his ex-girlfriend. And she was really mean to him in college and she cheated on him with, with his friend and all this. And, and she's still trying to make it now. She's 48. Wow. wow. And, and, wow. and he was talking about how like he ran into her and this is fucking weird moment. And I was like, dude. Because it's crazy. A lot of them just drop off. They just quit well, because they realize they're like they're clinging to this yeah. ship and they, they can't quite pull themselves up. Uh, and then they're in the middle of the ocean like, I got to drop off the ship. And, I gotta. and then sometimes they drop off and they're 60 years old. There's right? nothing and they've else never left. made it. Wow. And then maybe they got like a bit part on like a sitcom where they walk in with a pizza and they have one line. They leave and that's on their reel forever. Like this is this is that industry. So that industry has made a bunch of fucking insane people mm -hmm. because they were insane going in there. They needed a lot of attention already. And then on top of that, they get rejected over and over and over again. And they get, I remember this girl that I was dating, she would come home from auditions and then she'd just be like, just devastated because uh. the audition didn't go well and she stumbled through things. She's just like, you could like feel the angst like pulsating off of their bodies. Like yeah. people were just, and you run into that more than you don't. Because most and most people are bitter and most people are weirded out and they adopt these liberal sensibilities and ideologies and they don't necessarily do it because they thought these things through. Mm -hmm. I mean, occasionally you got your Mark Ruffalo type characters really all in on yeah. a lot of things, <laughs> right. but most of them are not. Right. Most of them are just nonsense people, and those nonsense people will get on stage. And they'll, they'll say, like at the Academy Awards or at the Grammys, they'll talk about, this is what we have to do. We have to make sure that we support this and that. Right. And it's fucking horseshit. Like and that, so, that Imagine video where they all oh say, God, it was like, perfect. Oh, perfect. So like, Who asked for this? Perfect. We never fucking asked you for this. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect <laughs> encapsulation. Like, do you think you're actually helping anyone? Yeah, I'm like, yeah. no, like, this is, this is so bad. That was the, my first favorite one. My second favorite one was after the George Floyd thing where they all did that black and white video that oh, I will yeah, no longer right, stand right, for it. Right. I will no longer stand right. for any race. I'm like, wait, how, how much racism are you yeah, standing yeah, for? Yeah, like, yeah, what, yeah, are you, yeah, what, what are you doing before? What are you, everybody's super liberal out there. What are you experiencing? So it's, that's the people that like don't make it right. That even you're the people talking, that do. And then we're so talking do you about think, two groups of people that right. do the imagine people and mm. the people in the other video and are people so that do. Do you think that fame has its own like corrosiveness and, like the people who actually make it. And then you're in a different situation where you're not faced with constant rejection. Now you're faced with constant adulation. Like what does that do to people? And what has that experience been like for you? 
I think you have to have something to test your ego. And mm. for me, it's always been martial arts and exercise and yoga. And, you know, we talked about sauna. Yeah. Like yeah. That tests you as much as you don't think it does. Th- you need things that test you. If you just have this smooth sailing life where you get, out of the to- you get out of the shower, you put your arm out and someone hands you a towel and you're like, I'd like fresh fruit. And they bring you a plate of fresh fruit. And you're like, and then that's a lot of people, especially when you are on a movie set and you're a major star, I would imagine that is your reality where you're just constantly being catered to. And you start thinking that you're different and better than that other you people. you deserve yeah, it. Right. It's very unhealthy. And it's, it's, it's very weird. sketchy. It's fucking weird. It's like fucking when weird. I, when I think about it. Yeah. Um, it's and, psychologically, right. it's not where people are supposed to be. But you think about it, like, what do they behave like? Well, they behave like Joffrey in fucking Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Right. right? They be, is that his name? Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. You got yeah. it. You, be, you behave like a king. You behave like a dictator. Because, like, all these people are, like, throwing roses at your feet. And, like, the red carpet shit. Like, I fucking never would do red carpet. <laughs> Even movies that I did. Yeah. Like, I did a couple of movies with Kevin James. Like, mm-hmm. we'd like you to walk the red carpet. Like, fuck you. I'm like, I'm not, I, I want to go in the back of the theater. I'm not walking through that red carpet. It's a very weird custom it's, when you think like, about it. like, there, Joe, over here, over here, over yeah. here. And then some people are posing. <laughs> right. they're, they're picking out their outfit. I'm wearing a fucking hoodie. And I'm angles. putting it on and sneaking in the back. I'm like, I don't want to be a part of that. But the crazy thing, though, is that what you're describing, that old Hollywood. Hollywood. I'm, I'm well, you and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like everything is changing now. It's all like the TikTok kids, um, like Mr. Beast. I mean, we encounter like some of this. You created this whole space, right? Of the YouTube, like the I didn't new, create this whole space. Well, I think you, I, you. I would say that you would, it, it would have happened without me. I would bro. call you the father of the space, whether you like it or not. And like, I think we are an outgrowth of that. I think actually a lot of new comedy that I see, for example, like YouTube comedy is how I primarily engage with comedy, like, and then. I mean, Andrew Schultz, I became friends with him because of your show. Like, I reached out to him and then I started engaging with this podcast and more. Like, But Hollywood didn't have anything to do with that. So I feel like everything has changed. The Logan Paul thing was kind of crazy to me because I'm like, you have this guy who was a YouTuber and then became a boxer. And now he's just did this thing with Floyd Mayweather where they just sold, what was it, like a million pay-per-views. I'm like, that's fucking yeah, crazy. crazy. And so – now you have YouTubers who want to be boxers and boxers who want to be YouTubers. And because of you, I've engaged slightly in UFC. All these UFC guys are becoming influencers. Like, I can see them online, and they've got, like, fucking hot sauces and stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's, like, this weird change that happened. So, like, what do you make of, as everything goes independent and everything moves online, has it gotten worse? Has it gotten better? Like, what are some of the downsides, plus sides or whatever, as things have changed in the last, it's only been, like, 10 years. And things are totally different. I don't think it's a worse or better. It's just a new world we're living in. Like, is the world worse or better because of social media or worse or better better because of smartphones? Well, it's better because maybe you can have an app that tells you if you're having a heart attack. Mm-hmm. You know, it's better because you can Google the answer to a question and you don't have to bullshit people anymore. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to go find an encyclopedia. It's better because we have more access to information. You can take videos of your kids and you can look at them forever. Right. I mean, I have videos of my daughter when she was a little baby and I pull them up on my phone all the time. They're my, my favorites. You know, she's 13 now, but mm-hmm. I, can, I can see her when she was one. You know, and it's there's that's that's awesome. There's something right. amazing about this technology. There's something amazing about all of it, but it's very challenging. You know, it's we're putting ourselves in uh, an unusual uh, position of stress where, you know, like when you see people that get in these uh, social media squabbles, mm-hmm. you know, you talked about Jamie, uh, Jamie Kilstein. Yeah. Well, Jamie Kilstein 
has a crazy story about, you know, he was like all in as a social justice warrior. Yeah. And he would tell me that he would attack people on Twitter and then he'd be walking down the street and he couldn't help like looking at his phone and checking the mentions. And, and then, but he, you know, he's really honest about that. It was kind of brave. Yeah. He, he realized like for, he got canceled for like the most, it was like literally the most benign thing. Like right. he was like trying to date someone. Right. And they were like, you're a predator. And he's like, what? <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? And like, he's like, but I've been doing this. So now what do I yeah, do? Like, <laughs> what is, what do you say? Like, what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. You know, like a man who's attempting to uh, date a girl, yeah. like in a lot of those circles is like problematic, mm -hmm. but it's not even real. What it is, it's like a, it's like we were talking about with Elon or with money yep. earlier. It's attack, attack vectors. vectors. Yeah. It's finding a thing to attack you on. Mm. And when people can't, when there's nothing to attack, they attack things and then they justify that that's something that they should attack. Right. When you only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm -hmm. And one of the things about social media is that people genu generally look to complain about things, whether it's to complain about people or it's a complain about the state of politics or the climate or whatever the fuck it is. Like you get the most juice out of complaining about things. Mm -hmm. And the algorithms recognize that obviously oh, yeah. as well, mm -hmm. which is why the algorithms recognize that the things that people interact with most are the things that they hate. So those are the things that people go after. And they, they say that it's like, oh, they're engineering it to make us, you know, hateful and angry. But my friend Ari did an experiment and he went on YouTube and he only looked up puppies for like months. Mm -hmm. And all YouTube suggested was puppies. They didn't right. suggest. So they're just like, serving you what you want. They didn't suggest KKK videos. No, if you just, like puppies, you're gonna love killing <laughs> yeah. puppies. Look, right. if, if you look at my YouTube, my YouTube is like there's some political discussion, but it's a lot of like martial arts matches and professional pool and like mindless stuff, like muscle cars and things along those lines. But mm. it's like your social media algorithm, whether it's uh, I don't use Facebook very much, but whatever the, whatever you're looking at most is what they're going to recommend to you most. Right. So it's more of a reflect, reflection of the problem with human psychology is that we do tend to concentrate on negative things, which I think is overall very unhealthy for us because we're, we're hardwired to deal with real problems because we grew, we, we evolved trying to get away from predators and, you know, um, and, and enemy tribes are coming over the hill and trying to steal our resources. And now Everything's pretty fucking easy in that regard. So now we're looking for problems in our culture. Mm. We're looking for problems in the mm -hmm. way people communicate. And we're looking, in many, many cases, we're looking to enact power over other people to avoid looking inward at our own problems and difficulties. Right. If you look at online, the people that, that are the most disciplined, that accomplish the most things and have the most impact spend the least amount of time complaining about other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The people that spend the most amount of time complaining about other people and the most of the time calling out people and insulting people and shaming people, they always get it back at them. Someone always comes at them because they're filled with flaws. And they're the type of person that does that all the time is the type of person that's kind of shitty. You know, right, and then yeah. other people are going to say, well, you've fucked over your employee or you fucked over your mom or you did this to that person. And look, here's the thing we found you wrote four years ago on Twitter. You piece of shit. You're an ableist or you're a this or a that. And it's like you're involved in this constant cycle of negativity. And like 
It's not healthy for anybody. And the more time you can concentrate on yourself and people you care about and friendships and love and community and your actual interests, real interests, like you should have real interests. You should have hobbies. You have things you're curious about. You should have um, like subjects you're fascinated with that you, you in really like if there's a good documentary on UF, U, UFOs on YouTube or on, on mm-hmm. iTunes or something, I get fucking pumped. I'm excited. Like, I'm not thinking about complaining about people. Right. I'm not thinking about calling people out. I'm like, ooh, what's this? We got some new footage? What do they got? Is this real? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm excited. Like, I yeah. want, I like positive things. And I think if I can express anything that will help people, the more you take care of your own bullshit, the less you're going to worry about other people's bullshit. Mm-hmm. And the more you can enjoy things that you're actually interested in. Right. As opposed to spending time cultivating negativity, which is so intoxicating. It's so easy for people to get caught up in this artificial drama. You know, I and- think I wonder if you think that this is right, too. I think there's also like a very innate human longing to be like a hero in a way, you know, to do noble things and get credit for that and be recognized. And I think part of the instinct also comes from that in a society that doesn't give us a lot of opportunities to like exercise that particular muscle. It's a longing for like, okay, I can show that I'm virtuous. I called out this person and now other people are joining and it makes you feel like you actually accomplished something. For sure. Yeah. I think definitely. I mean, that's what virtual signaling is all about. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a bunch of human reward systems that are just built into what it means to be a person that they can get hijacked by technology and culture and a lot. And you, you really think you're doing a good thing and you think you're changing things, but really you're just making noise, you know? So something I think is kind of crazy is that this podcast gets millions of of viewers, of listeners, etc. So JRE. And yet we live in DC and we've seen this with the success of our own show. Even though our show consistently will beat a CNN primetime hour, people in power don't seem to care. And I've con- and I've considered this with your work as well cuz I will hear a newsworthy interview that you'll do with like Bernie Sanders or something like that or a newsworthy interview with Tulsi or with Andrew Yang or even um, any any general influencer and it will not get the same level of mainstream attention as if, let's say, they sat down with the New York Times. But you have 10 times the audience of these people. Why do you think that is? I've never been able to put my arm around it. Do you think people in power don't understand you? Actually, wait, because here's the thing. They do. Uh, by the way, you have no many people have no idea how many people are like, can you give me Joe Rogan's number? Yeah. Uh, my congressman really wants. I'd be like, literally, no. Like, he doesn't give a shit about you, and I'm not going to do that. Um like, can you pass on this person to this? And I'm like, dude, he would hate you. Like, absolutely not. Um, or, and in general, like, I'm respectful of your time. So there is this dual thing where people are aware there are a lot of people here who are listening. But they're not yet ready to, like, engage with it on a mainstream level. Why do you, like, what's going on there in terms of, I, I almost want to call it a lack of respect. Because it's like they want to pretend that you don't exist. But they also have to reckon with it at some point. I don't know. Yeah. It's one more thing I don't think about. <laughs> I guess that's just me. Yeah, being, no, it's but like, it's like okay, Prince fucking Fauci, right? Like, why is Fauci commenting on Joe Rogan? What Prince because, Harry openly attacked you for no reason? I actually went to go listen to the episode, and I was like, what the? F-? I was like, what does this fucking guy have to say about fella. Joe? He opened his interview with Dak Shepard attacking it. 
That was the first thing. He's like, did you guys see what happened with Joe Rogan? He goes, terrible with responsibility, platform. And I, and I was like, what, the <laughs> was, what the fuck? What is going on here? Right? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I don't know. Good luck to that guy. Right. <laughs> I think something that really frustrates me whenever people criticize you is that most of them don't actually listen to your podcast. Well, they right? listen so to like, a clip. Right, exactly. They a so they have yeah. somebody out there who's going to clip something to try and make you look like shit, and then, then it's going to go viral. But in general, you think yeah. people in general should get vaccinated. And you encourage oh, yeah. your in parents. In general, and- I think human beings should take every step that they think is appropriate to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. I don't, in general, think that, I think generally a lot of people could do more to improve their health. Right. And this is one of the things that I talk about more than anything. Yeah. That we need to improve our health. And it's something you can do. But it's something that people, look, it's the only thing you have. Your body's the only thing you have. And most people treat it like shit. Mm-hmm. If your body dies, you cease to exist. So all the things you have, you s- all the things you have in this life are dependent upon your body functioning correctly. And you you have agency in this. Like you can do something about your body doing, doing better. You can do something about strengthening your immune system. You can do something about your health. And most people choose not to. And there's been no emphasis whatsoever on public awareness of how significant it is to take care of your body. Yeah. I heard you say something once that made me really sad. And it was that you can't save humanity at scale. I can't remember who you were talking to, but you were talking about, I think it was about diet. I think it was about ending factory farming and more. Do you, do you actually think you can't save humanity at scale? Like, or are you talking in terms of your own influence that you have in terms you're, of that message around health? You're no, there's no one human being where everyone's going to listen. Mm-hmm. There's, no, there's no one positive message. Hey, we should just love each other. Hey, we should value community and friendship, and we should take care of our bodies and be healthy. Hey, fuck you. There's no one person that can say anything where everyone's going to listen. Yeah. But that is the most significant factor. Mm-hmm. The most significant factor is doing things that are positive both for your health and for your friendships and for your community, and also like choosing a path in life that is actually rewarding and satisfying. And that's hard. It's hard for a lot of us. Yeah. We talked about it on our podcast. Today. Oh, absolutely. It's a very difficult thing to do. And this idea that, you know, everybody starts at the same fi- starting block is fucking total horseshit. And that is something that people who are doing well like to stick in the face of people that are really were dealt a really bad hand of cards. So the three of us, we can't just snap our fingers, but you, you know, a lot of people are going to listen to this. If you're one of those people who have heard you talk about, I used to work one of these jobs, just like he's working in these soulless cubicle jobs. I had the ability, financial ability to be like, I, I have to get the fuck out of here. Like I have to get out. But there are a lot of people who I left behind who are still there, like are still working well, in listen, that cubicle. Let's talk yeah. about you guys, right? Mm-hmm. You guys were in a situation where you were doing a show for someone else and there was a significant amount of fear in leaving. But you had so many things on your side. Mm -hmm. You had uh, other people like myself and Kyle and uh, all these other people that loved you and supported you that would be more than willing to help promote you, people with a lot of influence. You also had a tremendous amount of followers, both on your social media and on your show itself. Mm -hmm. You had so many things going. You have talent. You have uh, the the, the right morals and ethics. You have a a great insight to politics and to the social issues. 
And yet you're still worried. Yeah. yeah. You're still yeah. scared. Yeah. Right. We right? were terrified. Yeah, we are yeah. <laughs> petrified. Now man. imagine yeah. if you're you're making fifteen dollars an hour and you have children to feed. I don't know. And what you, you do. have a you have a, a dream. You have a risk. Yeah. You have you have a, a, a thing to do and you're scared. And a lot a lot of people would advise you to not take any risks in that situation. And that might be good advice because everybody's got a unique situation. Everybody's situation is totally, completely unique and um it's it's hard always. But my advice is always you have to think of your life in terms of, first of all, it's a temporary situation. You have a finite amount of time, and it can be a good time or it can suck. Mm-hmm. And if it sucks, you you have to fight to change it as if your life depends on it because it really does. It really does. The quality of your life depends on it. The, 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 the quality of the experience depends on it. And you've got yourself into a bad situation. Like if you went down the wrong road, okay, if you're going, if you have a destination to go to and you're supposed to go left, but you fuck up and you go right and you go right for like a couple of miles and you realize like, oh my God, I went right. What do you do? Do you keep going right? No. Do you, yeah. but, but do you, do you stop, get out of the car and cry? No, you realize like, oh my God, it's going to take me hours and hours and hours to go back and turn around and turn back. Yeah. That's what you got to do. You got to get better the same way you got sick. Mm-hmm. You, you've been living your life. And sh- if you've been living your life with a, with a bad diet or with uh, a bad mindset or you've been living like blaming other people for your failures, you've got to recognize that those things are not serving you well. And you have to back up and you have to go left. You have to go the right way. You have to figure out a way to get on the right path. And for a lot of people, that kind of change and that kind of alteration of these comfort patterns that people fall into is extremely difficult to do. But you've got to do it. Mm-hmm. You've got to do it. It's the only way to do it. You know, and this is it's, – it's easier to say – it's easy for me to say because I'm a, an impulsive person who's reckless and I've always <laughs> just gone dis- whatever way I want to. Mm-hmm. And people have always given me advice. Don't do that. I'm like, fuck you. And I've always <laughs> done that. Always from yeah. the time I was a child. Hmm. It's because I was a lock key kid and my parents didn't really pay attention to me. And my first success in life was doing something extremely dangerous. It was doing martial arts competitions when I was a, a young teenager. So for me, I was like, well, I'm not listening to anybody now because this is the, the number one thing in my life ever. And it's the thing that everybody told me to never do. And then I became really good at it and it became my identity. But then I realized, okay, I can't do this anymore because this is bad for my brain. I'm getting brain damage and Mm -hmm. there's no future in this. I got to get out. And then I started doing stand-up comedy. I'm like, I'm going to be a comedian. And the same thing. Everybody was telling me, don't do that. Hmm. Was that a scary transition or you just did it? No, it was definitely scary. What was that? What was that like? Well, it's just you don't know whether or not it's going to work. Anytime you're you're going down, you're taking the first couple steps on a path with no certainty whatsoever. It's terrifying, you know. You don't you don't know. But again, I was 21 years old. I was reckless, and I had been accustomed to doing dangerous things. So it was exciting. So I was like, well, let me just try this. And again, there was no future in it. I did not know whether or not it was going to work. And you know, the, the odds were when I looked at all the people around me that were falling off that didn't make it, the odds were not good, but I just did it. Mm-hmm. So then I started doing everything like that. And it kind of set a pattern in my life where I just, I follow my instincts. Does it seem like a thing to do? Like when if I started doing the podcast, like my friend Ari famously, I, I always mock him. He goes, you got to edit it. You got to edit it. It's too long. <laughs> I go, why? He goes, no one's going to listen to three hours. I go, yeah. then don't listen. 
and then he's like, cut it fuck, off when you're do ready. Do you want people to listen to your show? Trust me. Edit it. I go, I'm not editing shit. <laughs> fuck off. Well, that <laughs> was, that's the signature, though, is the three-hour mark. And actually, set, it changed, in my opinion, it changed everything about what people were willing to listen to. I think the success of our long-form show and more, a lot of it was born from that space, and that's why I think about it a lot. Was it intentional? Were you just like, like the original ones with Red Band, like the no, episode one and two and more? Like, when did the three-hour become part of the signature necessarily like why why did you go three hours in the first three project? after three yeah. hours people have to pee Got it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but then why are movies only an hour and a half right some yeah. tarantino movies go longer that's true i think um honestly that's true actually i i just feel like uh you gotta to get an idea and really re, to really have a conversation with someone and get into their head and find out what makes them tick you got to, it takes time to cook. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't just microwave that shit. Mm. You have to like, if you have an important complex idea and you go on CNN for five minutes and so talk done. to Chris yeah. Cuomo about it, you're fucked. Yeah, it's, it's not impossible. getting out right. right. It's not. It's like ideas are like human beings. They're like personalities and, and the, the history of your life. It's complex. There's a lot going on. If you're talking about something what you know whether whatever it is whether it's uh the ancient history or cosmology or these are complex subjects mm -hmm. you know any things that are really interesting they require like long examinations of things and even then you're just scratching the surface really you're supposed to go to school for eight years you know <laughs> <laughs> it's there there there's a lot of benefit in long conversations yeah. and um, if if I'm naturally anything, I'm naturally curious. I've yes. always been a very curious person, and that goes back to. Um, we I moved around a lot when I was a child. My parents we moved from New Jersey to San Francisco when I was seven, and then we lived in San Francisco till I was eleven, and then we moved to Florida when I was eleven, and we lived there for three years, and then we moved to Boston. And then we lived, I guess we lived in Florida for two years until uh, I was 13. And then we moved to Boston and I lived there and that's where I started doing stand-up. So I never had a chance to settle down in a place long enough to adopt everybody else's opinions. I had to form my own opinions on things and I spent a lot of time by myself. And so spending a lot of time by myself, I found things that I was interested in, mm -hmm. things that I was genuinely curious about and I pursued those things. And that's what gave me joy and that's what gave me, that's what fulfilled my interests. And so that sort of just spilled out into podcasts. Like if you ask me like what is the difference between what other people are doing and what I'm doing, maybe, maybe they're trying to do something that they think is going to be the thing that works. And I just did, you just did what I wanted to do. Mm. And it just I got lucky that it works. Yes. Maybe a lot of people that just do what they want to do, other people wouldn't be interested in it. Do you think if it hadn't taken off, you'd still be doing it? Like if it was still like 500 people listening, tuning in, do you think you would still do it? I don't know. It's a good question. Honestly, it's a good yeah. question. I mean – in the beginning, my uh, wife was always like, you don't have to do it. Like, oh, I have to do it. You don't have to do it. I made a Well, what was the impulse? Why? Like, I, I think, I uh, forget, it was already in a, oh, that episode you did with the guy who inspired you. 
um, I forget his name, where he... Anthony Cumia? Anthony Cumia, from Opie and right. Anthony. That's right. Yeah. Opie and Anthony, that's yeah. what it was, is that you were inspired by going on a show. What was it about that free-flowingness that something inside you was like, I got to fucking do that? You're like, I have got to Well, do I always love to go yeah. on those shows. Yeah. I always love to go on Opie and Anthony and Howard Stern and those kind of radio shows. Like when I would say, if I was going to fly into Phoenix and do stand-up for the weekend, I would do the mo- local morning show. Mm-hmm. And I love doing it because you would just talk they'd go hey joe rogan's here blah blah blah. how's it going and i'd be like oh it's great and like what have you been up to and i go dude i've been reading this book about zacharias yeah. and, and I, would, I would have all this stuff to talk about yeah. it's yeah. wild stuff and they and i and you know sometimes people would say hey you should have a radio show and i even got offered a radio show at one point in time and I was like, oh, I don't know about this. I'm like, I'm just going to get fired and and, I, and then I can't swear. Right. Like it, it's going to limit. FCC, you know. Yeah. Shit, right. And, and they'll, they find the shit out of you. Mm-hmm. It's real. Like if someone says something wrong, like you can get a quarter million dollar fine or something Jeez. crazy. Wow. Yeah. Like Howard Stern, that's one thing that people don't give enough credit for. He, they find the fuck out of that guy. And he just didn't care. He kept going. He just <laughs> kept going. But it's also like the company paid the fines because it was valuable it was to have him it. on. Mm-hmm. It was also kind of a badge of honor that this guy is getting fined by the government. And this is during the Bush days, mm-hmm. right? During the Bush administration. They went after him because of his influence. Um, I just, it seemed like a thing to do. And then when um, Ustream came around where you could just have a webcam and just talk into a webcam mm-hmm. and just fuck around, I thought it'd be fun to do. It was just a fun thing. And then uh, it became a thing like, all right, we're going to do this every Monday. I'll see you Monday. Bye. And we like log off and laugh and go, that was fun. (laughs) But it wasn't a thing where it was ever thought about like, this is going to be a career. Yeah. So because of that, I just approached it. I just did it the way I wanted to do it. That's why like when Ari was giving me advice, I wasn't listening at all. Like, right, because you know, you're like, I don't care. Like, I'm just going to do it. But right. if yeah, Ari was the Ari of to today, which ironically, he does three-hour podcasts. Sometimes more. But if Ari was the Ari of today and I was the me of then, I maybe would listen because he's got a successful podcast. I'd be like, oh, I should edit it. Hmm. Because no one had successful podcasts back then. I mean, mm-hmm. Marin had a podcast and Corolla had a podcast. Right. Maybe Corolla was number one because I think Corolla was coming off of radio and it was interesting to people that this guy who was uh, the guy who took over in Los Angeles for Howard Stern when Howard Stern went to Satellite all of a sudden started a podcast and I went to do his show before I ever did a podcast. And I remember I'm like, wow, you do like a real show. Like you Mm -hmm. got microphones and cameras and shit and he had a bunch of employees like, oh, this is wild. And then I started thinking like, man, maybe I should do that. But like, when we started out, it was just a laptop, but it's been a completely organic uh, rate of progression. All of it. No think about it. One of the things I've never done, I've never advertised it. I never paid for advertisement. I never, I just, it's all word of mouth. 100%. I never did anything to promote it. I never went on anybody else's podcast and said, you got to watch my podcast. (laughs) And I said, uh, I never did like a calculated press tour. Nothing. Just kept doing it. I wonder if that's part of why people responded to it so much, though, because everybody's so used to being pitched all the time in yeah. every aspect of their lives that I actually think that's one of the things that appeals. Probably. And I think people can tell if you're genuinely interested in what you're doing. And I think that comes out. It does. Yeah. yeah. If you're genuinely interested, yeah. I think it's interesting. To people, people can s- can sniff out 
bullshit and yeah. fakeness better than like human beings aren't that great at statistics or math or numbers or like any of that stuff. But I do think that there's a very good instinct in general for that sort of like genuineness and authenticity. And like, I can tell this person mm. really means what they say. It's particularly obvious in contrast. So if you took someone who's doing a late night talk show, late night, late night talk show style, and you had them try to do that on a podcast, Ugh. Disaster. It would, it would Some be a plane crash. But what it's like, it's like the difference between Howard Stern and morning DJs. Hey, yeah. coming up right now, we've got blah, 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 Bob Seger. <laughs> and, you know, they play. That's yep. that's what that's those people had. Yeah. And then Stern came along and he was himself. And people were like, this is crazy. And that that was in contrast. He made all those other people look foolish yes. mm. because they weren't themselves. You know, mm. so we talked about on the podcast before that that guy, that's the seed of all podcasts yes. is that guy. It's well, Howard Stern. What's funny to me, though, is that in a way Stern is responsible for Trump. Like Trump, you know, was on Stern all the time, kind of being himself. And so when then I think about you and I try to think about your audience and like maybe maybe the next president is born here. I have no idea. You know, I, I right. didn't have Trump on twice. Yeah, so I know. Two opportunities. Right. I was like, uh-uh. So let's talk about that because like, nope. this is a, again, <laughs> a message That's, out to all the politicians yeah. who keep asking me in order to connect me with Joe Rogan. How, what is Joe Rogan's process and how he decides which politician? Because look, like what do Crenshaw, Yang, Tulsi and Bernie have in common? Ba not a lot. Okay, well, but then how do you define that? How do you look at somebody and say you're not full of shit before you even get to meet them and well, say, yeah, I'll sit down. I heard Andrew Yang talk and I saw the things that he was saying. I didn't think he was a politician. I thought he was a businessman who had a unique idea. And Andrew's unique idea was that, first of all, I think he has good foresight to see that automation's coming and it's going to take a lot of jobs. And I think he's correct about that. And mm -hmm. Whether it's 10 years from now or 20 years from now, it's something that needs to be addressed now before it gets out of hand. Yeah. And also, as we talked about on our podcast earlier, I think that there's a real benefit to something like universal basic income in that it'll allow people to take care of their basic needs. And maybe those people can take chances and pursue a dream that they, that it would be outside of their reach. So that was Andrew. Um, with Tulsi, she just seems so genuine in mm -hmm. so many different ways and so respectable, right? Um, a, a person who was a congresswoman who uh, served two tours of duty overseas in a medical union and, and, and dealt with people getting blown up yep. and shot. And she'd seen it all yeah. and has so much integrity. If, if I've, if she was my number one choice. Yeah. You know, I just felt like, I felt like, Bernie was more popular and had a chance at doing something different and, and changing things. And so I wanted to talk to him. Um, that's, those are the type of people that I like to talk to. Crenshaw is a Navy SEAL. Mm -hmm. I have a deep respect for people that can do that. I yeah. have a deep respect for people that have served. The guy lost an eye. Yeah. And even if I disagree with him on certain political uh, opinions and, and positions, I have a massive amount of respect for the guy as a, as a just as a human being and who he is. And I've hung out with him in real life. That's who he is all the time. Uh, no, Wait, absolutely. So what ha what yeah. happened with the uh, Trump? What what what's the backstory there? And did you consider having him on? Did you like weigh not in? Did really. you think about no, it? They not kept really. Coming back with they wanted me to do it at the White House. And I was like, <laughs> Whoa! I can't imagine, you imagine that. Oh my god! The Joe Rogan. Did you tell him like, like, behind the I Oval mean, Office? If, if he had been willing to come yeah. here, I don't know if you were in LA at that point. Like, yeah, would, you, have, would maybe, you have considered it more if he came? Maybe I would have thought about it in LA, like to do like a real three-hour thing. But either way, the problem is, this is a—it's a real problem 
in that I don't want anybody to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's my role. Like if if I'm talking to someone like him, there there's some uncomfortable things that have to be addressed. I, I've some, interviewed Trump. I know exactly what we're talking about. And he actually hates to be pushed. So you'll yeah. have to be like, Mr. President. And he's like, you know, he gets pissed yeah. like, whenever you'll do it. But that's why you got to right. do three hours too. Right. No, that's gotta, true. You got to cook them. Right. Yeah, well, give, but his staff will make sure that they right exactly. I, mean, I remember not only so, that they'd want to edit it. Oh, of course. Fifteen yeah. minutes in, um, underneath the resolute desk, his staff person is hitting me in the leg, trying to get me to rap it. And I was like, "Dude, I'm not fucking rapping this thing." I was like, "I'm rapping whenever his Trump is going to rap." Staff it. members hitting Bill, your leg. Bill Shine, the former head of Fox News, was sitting there smacking my leg, trying to get me to rap at fifteen minutes. Why? 15 because minutes. you were asking uncomfortable questions. Asking hard questions, right? Yeah. Wow. So I was like, that was, and you know, in general, they they just, they just want you to come in, you get a little a bite or wow. whatever, and then. Get he says whatever they want him to say that day, and then they right. want and it to be like, done because, especially with yeah. him, right. God knows just, what he's going to say. The whole thing was not; it was not what I'm interested in. It's not what I do. Like the the idea of going to the White House and doing a 20 minute podcast. Oh, it's not okay. a podcast. I mean, I, I know Portnoy did it that way. He went there, but yeah, you know, for he took him, a lot of shit for that too. I'm sure yeah. he did, yeah. but it's like. I'm not interested in that. So I don't what's care. Your... I just like don't ever do things saying this is going to be a big episode. It's right. going to be a lot of numbers. Mm. I do things if I think someone's cool. Someone's I'm interested in someone, or I think what their their position is fascinating. With him, it's like I don't want to help anybody in this mm-hmm. race. I don't. I certainly don't want to help him, and I certainly don't want to help Biden. And uh, did I, the I've, Biden people approach you? No, I think maybe early on. I don't remember before I got real controversial. <laughs> became, before, before you before were tweeting from the presidential account, I remember, I remember being like, "That's crazy, man!" Before like, what? When Trump tweeted out a clip yeah. of you, I was like, "That's yeah." Nuts. Well, that was yeah. because I said yeah. that uh, I I think of Joe Biden as having a flashlight with a dying battery, That's right. <laughs> yeah, going that. for a long walk yeah. in the woods. <laughs> And it turns out I'm right because that motherfucker's flickering right well, now. We just did a whole yeah. thing on that. Yeah. I mean, from so if you're, what's your advice then to the people who want to appeal to your demographic? This is what everybody's like. What does that mean? So for well, that's the thing, which is that you have influence over people who are right and left. I think a, probably predominantly male, but people all over the spectrum, all over the income. There are Uber drivers and there are multimillionaires who listen to your show because um, we were reached out to by some of them after we went on your show. And I was like, this is fucking crazy in terms of the amount of people that listen to Rogan. And the game in politics right now is everybody has the hard right lockdown and everybody has the hard left lockdown in terms of the base. But millions of people just fucking hate politics. And you seem to have tapped into something there. So if you're a politician and you're listening to this, and I can guarantee you some of them will, what are they what's your advice to them in order to try and appeal to the people who are fans of Joe Rogan? It's not my wheelhouse. Yeah. I would send them to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know enough yeah. about the way politics works. Mm. Like when we did the end of the world podcast with Kyle, yeah. like to have him on during the election, it's yeah. like this is perfect because right. he expertly explained how it was going to go down and Mm -hmm. predicted incredibly accurately. He said, you're going to get these early people that are voting for Trump because those are the people that are walking in and voting in person. The late ballots are all going to be the mail-in ballots, and those are going to be the one for Biden. So there's going to be a lot of places where people think Trump is winning, and it's eventually going to shift over to Biden. It's exactly what happened. Right. Like That was super valuable. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to someone who wants to do anything politically— I would refer to that. And if I did have a politician on that I thought was some sort of polarizing politician, I might bring on someone like you or you mm. or Kyle or Jimmy Dore or someone who understands politics deeply. Got I it. do not. I, I'm, I'm, I'm too busy with other stuff. 
<laughs> right, but you also are. That's the crazy. To me, call I think all politics, culture, all culture has become politics. So like, you have become political in a way. I know you don't want to be, but like, that's how people see you. Has that been frustrating for you? Like, as 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 the podcast has progressed and got well, bigger? the only frustrating thing is the yeah. misinterpretation of my positions. Yes. And maybe not. It's more of a misrepresentation than a misinterpretation. Like they, I think they've just decided that I'm a, a right wing alt right character because I had Milo Yiannopoulos on four years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like there's, there's things about that, <laughs> which ironically led to Milo getting canceled. That's right. You, right? It was you. It yeah, was your show. I, was I remember that. Pressing oh, him yeah, about true. young boys and and older gay men, and he was like saying that his his position on it was that it, it was okay and that it was. For him, when he was young, that he was the predator. This is what he said, that he yeah. was going after the older men. You know, and yeah. a lot of people, had, that was like the straw that broke that the camel's it. back. Right. Which is, but let's be honest, they were looking for something like mm-hmm. that, right? Of course. Uh, people have been hunting him for yes. years, right, before that happened. Yeah, and, you know, it's really weird, right? Because, like... Did you think he was phony when you were interviewing him? Phony? Yeah. He's not phony. It's he's certainly doing a character, and he's... Yeah. Cer- He's certainly um, polarizing and... He's an attention seeker, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. He's he's a showman in a lot of ways, in a weird way. And the thing is, he found this niche. And see, this is where it gets into censorship issues, because it's really curious. Because there was a point in time where aggressive conservative, not conservative, right? Right wingers, alt right, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. aggressive people who opposed a lot of liberal ideology were dominating a lot of social media platforms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And before social media came in and checked it and started deleting accounts and banning people for using Peppy the Frog and all that kind of shit, they were dominating. It was Wild West. I remember it was Wild it. West. 13, 14, 2013, 2014 internet. It but was fucking crazy. In the marketplace right. of ideas, mm-hmm. are we supposed to let that happen? Are we supposed to let these people just battle it out? Or are we supposed to take away people that we don't agree with? Right. And that's where it gets weird. Right. Because there's a lot of like aggressively shitty left-wing people now. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of people that are behaving the exact same way or worse than Milo did. But they'll, they're doing it against right-wing people. And we find that okay. Yeah. We find that acceptable. But we found what Milo did to be completely unacceptable. Because the people that are in charge of tech, pla- tech platforms are predominantly like overwhelmingly liberal mm-hmm. which is really interesting you well know? are they liberal or are they hollywood liberal like, i think a lot of, it i think it's hollywood liberal. i think a yeah. lot of them are woke mm-hmm. let's let's yeah. call it ask woke. them about like pro-union or right. like medicare yeah, 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 for all yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're gonna be like right, no right, right. none of, that. None of that but they're yeah. socially very liberal right yes. the social liberal aspect of it in terms of what's mm-hmm. tolerable and not tolerable like when Megan Murphy got kicked off of Twitter for life for saying that she's a, a, a feminist and she got kicked off for saying that men who transitioned to women were dominating some feminist spaces right. yeah. and she got in some sort of beef with somebody and she said, uh, but a man is never a woman. Mm-hmm. And they just like, I remember, I think Tim Poole pressed uh, Jack Dorsey. Yeah, that's that. right. On yes. that. that was actually a very important Yes. And look, I want to be very respectful of your time and we're nearing um, the end of what we have you. And I think the major question that a lot of people see, I guess, going forward is like 10 years ago, you didn't see any of this happening. 
And but now you're dominating sports. You're dominating, or oh, look, you're you know top UFC commentator, right? You are the king of podcasting. You sell out stadiums as a comedian. Is there anything next? Ten years from now, are you going to be doing all three? Like, how do you see your career progressing, or not even career, your life progressing? I don't know. Very <laughs> <laughs> unsatisfying I think, answer, Joe. I think that's the, yeah. you know people think you have to have a fucking vision board, yeah. and uh, no, you just have to grind. Yeah, you know, I'm a grinder. That's what I do. I get up every morning at seven o'clock and I do the same shit every day. Whether it's working out or every night I get in the sauna, like every I do stand up every fucking chance I can. I'm, I grind, and I find that when I'm grinding. Things, good things happen, and then I just decide to either keep doing something or not keep doing mm-hmm. something. There may come a time where I decide, uh, when it comes to like UFC, for instance, that like maybe I'll just better off being a fan. Hmm. You know, because one of the things that I loved more than anything was when I was lived in LA, we used to do fight companions. I remember, yeah, so I remember we would some. we would right. get together and smoke pot and drink and watch the fights and just talk crazy shit. And it was so much more fun. <laughs> you know? But I also have a deep amount of respect for the athletes and I recognize that like being there and giving words to their performances and to to honor them and to to make it exciting and to to just give some some verbal horsepower to the to the experience for people that are watching at home. I I, I feel extremely honored. Mm. I also can't believe any of this is real. <laughs> like I can't believe that I'm doing these three things simultaneously. It doesn't even make any sense. Yeah. Like Eric Weinstein said that he had this funny conversation with somebody where he's talking about the UFC, and then he was talking about a, a, a podcast, and then they went, "Wait a minute." That's the same guy? <laughs> and then I'm like, dude, I think like that all yeah, the time. Funny. I feel like that when I show up at the UFC and I walk into the arena and I'm like, what am I doing? Is this what I do? <laughs> but then I put the headphones on and I'm, then I'm breaking down techniques and right. going over movements and different things. It's like, I don't, I just, I, maybe if I was struggling, maybe if it was the beginning of my career, I would have like an idea, like this is where I want to be in 10 years. But that's never what I've done. I've always just kind of like just kept going. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. now what I'm doing is like people say, oh, what's your goal? And I'm like, "Um, I don't know. Like my goal, I like doing this. Yeah. So as long as I like doing this, I'll keep doing this. That's kind of what my goal is. I want to get better at it, all the things, whether it's better at stand-up, better at podcasting, better at commentary. I want to get better at it. I want to make less mistakes. I want to make it more enjoyable for people that like it. I want to get better at it. And, um, you know, moments where I misspeak or I have a fuck up or, you know, people get mad at me. Like, I don't like those moments. That's not what I want. Mm-hmm. What I want is for people to enjoy it. You know, I don't want to to give fuel to people that are just looking to get mad at me for something. I'm just trying to put together something that people enjoy. That's my one, 100% of my goal. There's no, there's no real agenda otherwise. I don't want any more attention. One of the things I was hoping about Spotify, I was like, one thing will happen is uh, I'll be less famous. <laughs> I'm like, it'd be nice. That, I think you got way more famous. How's that working I'm, out I'm like for 90% you, Joe? sure you got way <laughs> more famous. I didn't famous. think it was good. I thought it was yeah. going to work the other way. Well, I, I, again, I, I know we don't have you that long. Why do you think you got more famous because of Spotify? I feel like you became a household name after Spotify. I don't know. Yeah. I think because... I think it's people realize there's a lot of money in this shit. Mm. Really? Yeah. You think yeah, that's you're probably it? right about that. Yeah. yeah. I think that was a big factor where people, it was like, it was eye opening. It was like one of those 
moments in a movie where the record skips. Yeah, and they're like, like wait, wait a second. Wait a second. Yeah. Because yeah. it was in Forbes and all this That's shit. That's true, it was right? just like, whoa. <laughs> and then um, the level of like weirdness in public ramped up. Really? Considerably. That's yeah. fascinating. Considerably. Yeah. Huh. And does yeah. that does that bother you or most people are nice. Yeah. People no, are I'm gonna nice. say all people are nice. Like no one's ever mean to me in public. Mm-hmm. They're almost always nice. Like this has been a couple sometimes times. Sometimes too nice, I bet. Yeah, sometimes yeah. people get weird. But <laughs> you know, I'm I work hard at being nice. I'm a genuinely nice person. I try to be <laughs> nice all the time. So it's like most of the time it's just saying hi to people. Mm-hmm. But it's weird. Yeah. You have no anonymity. There's none. That's I all gone. There used there. to be like some anonymity. Yeah. Huh. But now it's it's like, uh, oh, it died. It's all, it's all dead. <laughs> <laughs> Those days are gone. You know, but I mean, I think you can get that back. You just get to vanish for a while. You know, <laughs> you I think maybe that'll, maybe that'll be the next act. act. Would you ever go off the air for like six months? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. That'd be, that'd be crazy. I don't yeah. know. Maybe. People would go through withdrawal. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe they'll find somebody else. I think it's, um, the thing about podcasting is uh, it's not, it's not any different than anything else, whether it's music or literature or comedy. There's going to be more people, mm-hmm. you know, and I think one of the real problems with uh, some people and their ego is they really do believe that they're the only one that can do it or they're the best one that can do it. or But I think thinking like that and having that attitude ever at all detracts you and distracts you from the ultimate goal, which is to always do your best. To always do your best is like you know you know the four agreements Don Miguel I've heard you Ruiz. Talk about it before, yeah. So yeah. I I love this book. It's like a, an amazing book, and uh, one of the four agreements is always do your best. Be impeccable with your word. Don't make any assumptions. Don't take things personally. Always do your best. And it's these are so it's so simple. Right. But if you can like live your life like that, even if you haven't. Up until now, even if your life's been a, a clusterfuck of terrible mistakes and and fibs and lies and uh, deception and just and and hating yourself, if you could just follow those four things, you could change everything. I really, also, really yeah. do genuinely believe that. Yeah, I always just try to do my best, and um, nobody hates my failures more than I do. Like nobody. <laughs> like, believe, I think that's one of the reasons why I've, I can keep going and I've, I don't sit back on it at all. I don't, um, I don't like what I do. I don't like, I'm not a fan of my hmm. own work. Hmm. You know, I'm just not interested in it. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in trying to get better at it, but it's not like I ever sit back and watch something. I go, oh, it's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> I, I genuinely don't. I yeah. think that is completely, um, I don't think it does you any good. Mm. It's either good or it's not. If it's good, congratulations. Keep moving. Right. That's how I look at things. Right. And then I'm also interested in so many other things, you know? Like right now, even though I've got a lot of stuff going on, I'm thinking about this fucking workout I have to do tomorrow morning. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm like, oh, because I know it's coming. And then tomorrow I'm like, oh, Jesus. And then once it, it but th- that kind of stuff, like having things that I know I'm committed to that I know are br- brutal and you either do it or you don't do it. There's no if, ands, or buts. Mm-hmm. Those things keep you grounded. Those things keep you rooted in the reality of the struggle. And I think that if you do, I just think, Everybody has a different personality. Everybody has a different mindset and a different perspective on life. But from my perspective, with me as a human being, like me personally, 
I cannot, I cannot be happy unless I'm struggling. I have to have physical struggle. I have to have mental challenges. I have to have things that I'm doing that I'm working on trying to be better at. And as long as I do those things, then I can appreciate all the other things better. Then I'm a more loving husband and father and friend and I'm, yeah. I'm better as a, a neighbor. I'm better mm-hmm. at all those things because yeah. I take care of all my bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and I think um, that's, that's a, and that's, that's a, there's a lot involved in that and health is involved in that too. I think when people don't take care of their health, they're not, it's not just bad for them. It's bad for all the other people around you. It's bad for how you interact and interface with the world. It's like you got to do your best with your body too. And, th- you know, if this doesn't just mean just get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's Jesus Christ, like take care of yourself. Yeah. You got one meat vehicle. This yeah. is it. Very it's the only well one. Said. Joe, thank you. Thank, thank you, Joe. Thank you, guys. I love you, man. Thank, thank you. you. I love it. you guys too. Boom. Appreciate you. Dude, thank, thank you so much you. for your time. My I'm pleasure. Busy guy, seriously. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. The information age can be overwhelming, especially when the information can't always be trusted. But for the past 180 years, readers around the world have turned to The Economist as their trusted news source, delivering in-depth expert analysis of a wide range of topics. Listeners get a one-month free trial when they sign up at Economist.com. That gives you unlimited digital access to daily articles, special reports, great podcasts, subscriber-only newsletters, and so much more. Take the guesswork out of staying informed. Go to Economist.com to sign up.